we should move into the field of coasters. What, like the big industry of coasters? Yeah, big punch. Big, big, big coasters. Big coast. Or do, co- or do comic fans not really drink tea? I don't know. You see a lot of coasters at comic shows. Do you really? Yeah, like if you go to a merchandise stand in MCM or something, they'll be like, oh yeah, we got your comics panels coasters, we got your superhero coasters, we got your roller coasters, we... I guess you couldn't really, you couldn't really do like, I don't know, branded beer, keg, helmet kind of thing. You know, like those... Things you... sort of the wrong demographic. Is that what you're getting at? Well, like? maybe, yeah. Because you know you get the stuff in like American uh, like frat boy comedies where like they have that hat with like two beers. First aid. Yeah. Yeah. It's very funny, John. Don't think you realise quite how funny it is. Maybe we should. I think we should get into like drugs paraphernalia. I think that'd be the way forward. I think we should start branding ourselves as a fraternity. Right. You know, like we could change the Big Punch branding to be like BPS, but in a sort of like, you know, that sort of Delta Kappa... So it'd have to be like uh, beta, beta feta, beta feta meta or something like that. I can't remember my Greek letters. <laughs> or the initials to the company you own either. It's At what point did American, I guess, fraternities and sororities make the decision to go down that, that route? That Latin route. Like, they really can't weird. all be coordinated because the whole point is they're not. We're all individual groups. Yeah. Oh, no, no, but it's weird, isn't it? Because you can get, like, franchises. So the equivalent would be, because you went to Lincoln University. Yes, I did. I went to Leicester. The equivalent would be, I go to Leicester and I'm like, I really want to join a frat. And then there's all like these fraternities kind of like pitching. And they're like, hey, we're the, um, you know, Theta Alpha Omega frat. And we have branches everywhere in every university. Oh, really? Yeah, that is a thing. And then you, you at Lincoln could be like, hey, I'm also in the... Theta Alpha Omega. Also, oh, we're in. Then we'd be in the same fraternity. But yes, in but in different universities. Huh. And I think in America, it's a bit like, um, to some extent, it's a bit like the whole Freemason thing. Yeah. So kind of like if you're if you're interviewing someone for a job, you know, years after your university yeah. degree, and your interviewee is in the same fraternity that you were, you're sort of like, oh, might give him a shot because yeah. it's like. Oh, entirely. Nepotism. No, abso- absolutely. Yeah. Artificial enforced nepotism. A-E-N. Is that the name of your new comic? Yeah, it's the name of my autobiography, actually. It sounds quite good when you say it like that. <laughs> the um, A while ago, because Lucy and I had a little holiday in uh, Cambridge, and we were researching, like, secret, heavily air-quoted, air-quotation, um, societies at university. Oh, right. And in, like, Harvard and Yale, there's a massive tradition of... Um, uh, like these secret societies, like uh, the Skull and Bones, uh, the Key and Scroll. They uh, sound great. <laughs> yeah, they, but again, they all have a similar naming convention. Like somebody did it first, and then everybody else copied it. Interesting, isn't it? What made that catch on? I think it's one, one, one group did it, and it seemed vaguely prestigious. Right. And then it everyone was like, cool, yeah. I want to get in on it, you know. <laughs> the... Um, yeah, it's an odd one. It's like, uh... and basically, they're just glorified drinking establishments, you know, for lack of a better word. Just... I think, yeah, I think as a kid, I discovered this about secret societies, especially like the Freemasons and stuff. Is that after a while, and The Simpsons does it really well as well with the stonecutters, doesn't yeah. it? But it's like you realise that really all they are is just an opportunity for a load of blokes to get away from their wives and drink. And there's nothing more exciting about it than that. Like, you really hope that there would be artifacts and, you know, ancient machines deep underground that are controlling the world and stuff. It's like, no, nah, it's just a load of dudes at a pub that they get to choose who goes to the pub. I think that's basically it, isn't it? It's just, yeah. it, 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 you know, a society only becomes fun when you exclude someone. <laughs> yes. Like, in an odd way, like, what's the that's point really of having true. just a pub? Yeah, you know, because any old rubbish can come into your pub. How do we distinguish ourselves from that? Don't worry about it. Just, uh, I don't know, welcome other people into your life. I don't know. Sounds, sounds pretty radical to me. I did a lot of reading about the, I think, the Skull and Bones, which is like one of the most famous ones. That like, seems like a really generic name. I like, know, <laughs> oh, but it's well, edgy. Know, You've got to think, we're talking like, I don't know, 1800s edgelord, really, where it's like, <laughs> how can I... You know, the kind of guy who would play as Reaper, but back in the 1800s. Yeah, it's like, you know, we're young, we're radical, you know, we get the kids... I'm not afraid to say skull. But they're, um, it's like, uh, it's kind of like a secret. Like, the whole point is that it has a degree of secrecy. Everybody knows it exists. And also, 
they have a great big building. So it's not like, you know, where, 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 where can we find them? It's like, well, look, their postal address goes here. <laughs> they have like this, I'm going to get this completely wrong, but they have like this massive building and it's called something like the mausoleum. Right. And it, and you know, this is not just like your union at uni. It's not just like a bunch of drunken guys. There's money here. Right. Like this is a proper like Greco-Roman style building like great big marble it's quite impressive and it's like the only things that are kind of like i guess special about it is that membership you have to be nominated okay and there's like it's something like there's only like 12 people recruited a year so so it's very selective and the idea is that older members of the secret society will tap people for membership in the first year. Right. And the idea is that you are selecting the creme de la creme is the idea. Uh-huh. And that's not just so it's like somebody there was like a leaked foreword which somebody wrote in one of like their books or something. You know, it's it, technically be easy enough for someone to get hold of this, but someone wrote a foreword where they explained that in a good year a intake into the society would include the captain of the sports team, uh, the captain of the a cappella group, uh, a notorious womanizer, uh, a drunkard. Uh, a, uh, These a people no- sound great. By like the way. a noted revolutionary, <laughs> you know, someone who was like uh, a radical thinker or a poet or a someone, you know, pepped up on laudanum or something like that. <laughs> you know, and it's like. It's not even like sporting acumen that gets you in. No. It, it's more, it's not even wealth. It's more like you have to be someone. Yeah. You, and it's basically it. just how can we have the most interesting drinking parties, basically. <laughs> and of course, because this was written a good while ago, in a less enlightened time, it was also like, oh, and a black man. Oh, really? Or something like, yeah, <laughs> we'll just, you know, or a Jew. You know, it was like, wow, guys. <laughs> that is not that is not as non-racist as you think it is <laughs> you know <laughs> no it's totally I'm not racist I've got a black man in my secret society it's fine <laughs> we've got to take a black dude hanging yeah. out in my, in my drinking club no you're the we monster. don't talk to him <laughs> quite <laughs> but it's like I think um, it's a big thing where I think a lot of US presidents in some form or another <clears throat> have been members of one of these societies or another be it I don't understand the Harvard Yale dynamic or the rivalry but yeah there is a rivalry there there is yeah and it's like uh oh i don't know it's like you go to one you go to the other and if you are someone you are in the relevant society for each so it's very interesting it is interesting i remember hearing about one that was very simple i think it's called like the joker club or something like that well basically i think it's a military thing if i remember rightly and the way it works is, is that you, again, you can't join. You have to be invited. Yes. Uh, and the way you're invited is by being given a Joker card from a set of playing cards. Oh, okay. Um, but then all it consists of is if you're in a bar and someone shouts something, and I can't remember if it's like Joker's up or Joker's out or something like that. Yeah. If you're a member, you have to take your Joker card out and hold it up in the air. And you may be surrounded by potentially tens of people that you do not know in this club. Because someone shouted it, you're a member of the club, you are obligated to get your card out and hold it up. And if you are the last to hold it up, you pay for everyone's drinks Jesus. who has a Joker card. That... But it does mean, in a funny sort of yeah. way, that a lot of the time, if you're in the right circles, you'll get your drinks paid for by someone very unlucky. I was going to say, that's a bit like... Have you heard of challenge coins? I think I have, but I don't know. Tell me all about it again. They, well, I will, Nick. <laughs> Tell me, John. Uh, <laughs> Spin me a yarn. I've got to say, they're kind of beautiful. And a couple of years ago, I looked into getting some made... Right, like as a as a thing, we could. I, originally, I was thinking for after I think. Yeah, but yeah. The idea is that it's about the size of a two pound coin, and essentially, it's like uh, a very thick, fancy, uh, pin badge, like a metal pin badge. So okay. it's the same kind of cloisonne, hard enamel, nice design. It'll be colourful. It'll be yeah, you know, um, bevelled and everything. But it's a coin essentially. It's the weight and heft of a fancy coin. Mm. Uh, but the idea is that. You get them, I think it was mostly a military thing, that's where it began, an American military thing. And you get them 
I don't know, it's a bit... I can't remember the scenario, and the scenarios may change, because there's tons of different challenge coins. But they are given based on certain conditions, like maybe you're monitored, or, you know, you're kind of, like, volunteered, or you do something of note. Like a great poo. Then you're given a... You do an amazing poo. <laughs> Everyone's uh, talking about it. But you'll get... Wow, you hear what Gregory did? I mean, seriously, like, you know. <laughs> the barracks rocked. And... Um, you get like an amazing, uh, you get given this challenge coin and essentially enters you into an, an exclusive club. But the only benefits as such are drinks related. Yeah. So if you, and I think the idea is that if you go into a bar and slap the challenge coin down on the bar top yeah. or where someone can see, everybody has to do it. That's the challenge. Everyone has to do what? present their coin as well. Oh, I see. And if you can't present your coin, like, presumably, it's in a place where you know everybody has one. Yeah. But if someone has a coin but can't present it, they have to pay Right, that's very drink. similar that, to the Joker Club then, yeah. That's the idea. Or maybe, yeah, maybe they've come from the same sort of place. Like, so rather than having to have this fancy, rather Etonian coin, um, you just grab yourself a Joker from a pack of cards, which is infinitely cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> Things you have to make sure that Joker lasts like, it doesn't get dog-eared or kind yeah. of manky. Or but in a way, the Joker makes sense. And I suppose both the Joker and the coin make absolute sense, I've just realised, because they're both things you keep in wallets, aren't they? Oh, you're right. So a Joker card would fit nicely into where your credit cards go, and a coin would fit where your coins go. That's actually kind of genius. I've just had a ma- massive revelation. And I've got to be honest with you, they are beautiful. Yeah, like, well, it's um, kind of like Geocoins. You know Geocoins? Remind me. So, <laughs> tell me a yawn, Nick. Um... You know, geocaching, yeah. where you go around at a natural treasure hunt and find things. Well, geocoins are sort of like the creme de la creme of treasures that you can place in caches. Right. Um, but you can, again, like you say, get them custom made. But the coolest thing about some geocoins is that they have a serial number on them. Right. And so the idea is, is because now geocaching has entered the digital age, um, <laughs> when you, <laughs> what, what used to happen is that you would like write in the log in every cache, like, hey, I found this one. Awesome. I've taken a thing and I've dropped off a thing. And that would be the fun of the, the game. Yeah. And that still exists. But now there's like a digital aspect where you go find that cache online and you type in online, I have visited this cache. And you sort of do a digital log as well. Yeah. Um, but the coolest thing about these special geocoins with a serial number is that the idea is, is if you find one, you're meant to take it, and bear in mind it's a, as you say, really luscious, lovely object, like really nice. Probably cost about five or six quid to make. Yeah. Uh, embossed gold, you know, patterns all over it and everything. But it's got this unique serial number, and you write on the log online, um, taken geocoin serial number blah 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 from this cache. Yeah. Then you go to another cache, preferably as far as possible from that one you found the coin in, and you deposit the coin. And then you chart that online, type in the serial number again and say coin deposited in X. And as a result, because it's digital, they can track it across the world. Oh. It's got a phone call. Hold on. But yeah, um, I guess uh, challenge coins, oh, yeah, going, <laughs> going, back, going to back to that, are astonishingly beautiful. And uh, I would really love to manufacture. Such yeah, I think I bet they are very similar in look to geocoins. I can imagine that they are. So who's manufacturing all these geocoins? Uh, well, I know for a fact that um, you can buy pre-made ones from like the geocaching website, like the official geocaching. Oh, so does somebody own the brand geocaching? Um, yeah, yeah, in the sense that there is a sort of governing body, as it were. Yeah, and that's where the website is for like tracking stuff and like putting in the logs and things. Yeah, but the cool thing about the serial number system is that because it's it's data now, um, it can you can like load it onto a world map. Yeah. You can see the journey that things have been on. Right. And I really wanted to do, like, I wanted to make a catamaran geocoin. Oh, and really? Then, yeah, this was a plan I had a little while back, but I haven't ever got around to doing it. And then I wanted to sort of set it off. I wanted to go find a really common, big, famous geocache, place it in there. Yeah. And then basically, you know, accompany it with a little note or something that just said, literally take this as far as you can. <laughs> Did you ever look into manufacturing those or how you might do it? Uh, yeah, because then, then I, as I was saying, like there's, so there's, there's the pre-made ones you can buy on the Geocache website, but then there's lots of manufacturers, or well, I say lots, but I found a few who make them. But it, it wasn't cheap. Yeah. Mainly because you tend to order them in small quantities and they're very, very ornate and awesome. Yeah, it's the same same problem we face with badges. You know, yes, they are exactly, just... Yeah. You know, unless you're buying like a thousand. But I tell you what, a good workaround would be using um, Zap Creative's charms. A charm, right? Okay. Yeah, they're not metal; they're either plastic or wood. But you could cut a wooden circle with an amazing sort of either laser engraved or just illustrated pattern on each side. Right. 
Um, and wood's quite nice in a way. There's a nice sort of texture and feel to that. And uh, they're quite cheap. You can order them in decently small quantities, like 50, 100, 200, something like that. Right. Um, and you end up paying about, I don't know, so 150, 200 quid probably for them. You see, I love that kind of thing. I like the idea of something... It's why I, it's I like artifactual, isn't it? Yeah, like I mean, I really love um, pin badges. Anyway, yeah, like nice metal badges. And well, that's, that's very affordable. We've discovered. Yeah, we? no, that's that's one of the things we're going to be uh, exploring with Big Punch. Absolutely. But, um, I love the idea of like a little artifact which symbolises that you're part of a club. Absolutely, in some oh, it's, way. It's great. It's great. You know, that's the kind of. Maybe I need to make some sort of catamaran secret society. Because it sounds like Skull and Bones, you know, Key and Scroll, Cat and Moran, but it's kind of like a stupid one. It'd be like, you know, the feline and, yes, I don't know, dessert. feline and pudding. Yeah. I think that's the thing. You'd you you you'd want it to be stupid. I think actually with Cat and Moran, that would work really well. You'd want a... Sense of humour. Well, yeah, well, you already have your, uh, like, uh, you know, awesome league of brilliant dudes, whatever you... Elite team, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's, that's cool. People dig that already. They dig it. Already. Can you dig it? I can't dig it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I want to dig it. It's a noble, I want to. It's a like, noted problem. I can't. I won't. So, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm much the same with Afterlife Inc. and everything. It's like, uh, it's like when we did the uh, pin badges for... Um... Afterlife Inc. is well suited to a secret society as well. Well, it's like when we did the um, the badges for... Um... Oh, the lifer badges. The lifer badges, yeah. Yeah, they were good. You know, that's something I never really explored to its full potential. Like, I was like, I would love to refer to fangs of after I think as lifers. Yeah. You know, and as some, I should, I should make a bigger deal of that. Yeah. But again, it's just time, and we have all of these, uh, have all these hairbrained, hairbrained schemes. Hairbrained schemes. Back in uh, sixth form, there were when I was at school, there were a lot of hairbrained schemes. Really? I mean, you know, uh, you know Rayman. I do. I'd like to say he was like the king of hairbrained. Really? Schemes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we had another friend called Gav, who sadly we've lost uh, touch with over the years. But Gav was a uh, uh, like Gav could just do everything. Like Gav, Gav was astounding. Like um, legendary Gav. You know the? Uh, do you remember the uh, uh, Jacob's Cracker challenge? Oh yeah, yeah. Which uh, absolutely failed at. I was like trying to eat a Jacob's Cracker in a minute. Or three, even, I think was the original challenge. Gav could. Gav could do it. Gav, and Gav was actually like um, a master of novelty sports. <laughs> so, like, if you, uh, you know, he was a big, strong guy anyway. So, I bet, like, if you played rugby, he would have been fine. But it was more like, hey, Gav, here's like a really bizarre sport where you have to, like, balance pencils on the top of your nose or, like, while eating a boiled egg. And he would just be the king of it. Like, anything. That required niche <laughs> skills. He would somehow just smash it. Yeah, he'd just be incredible at. But um, I think his family like owned a farm or something, or they were just kind of like they were practical and they had like connections. So Rayman and Peaks got it into their head. There was a lot of money in turkeys, <laughs> right? Actually, like the bird. So they were like they had this big plan again, harebrained, and I'm not sure quite how serious it was. But they were like, why don't we buy like turkeys? You know, and then we can sell turkeys for meat and we can start making money. So <laughs> they came up with letterhead paper and everything for, what? for like Turkey Syndicate. That was going to be the name of their company. Turkey Syndicate. Yeah. And it never materialised. But of course, the joy was in the, the talk and the hype. Oh, absolutely. And how it was just going to be amazing and it was going to be the next big thing. We weren't especially known for it at school, but Dave and I... Um, would often have ideas way beyond our station, like, yeah. like ridiculous ideas. And one of them uh, was we were going to build a helicopter. <laughs> right. And it's like, okay, what, I'm with you so far. What on earth made us think that, that, you know, with absolutely no aeronautical engineering understanding or experience at all, we could do it. But Dave basically had the concept. And then I was just like, I was sort of like that, you know, that minion behind a bully. He's just like, yeah, yeah. You tell okay. him, you tell him. I can, we can do this. You tell and him. I was bull. very much like a sort of... Um, if you were salacious crow. Yeah, I was, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and Dave's idea was that we would build this really lightweight helicopter that had, like, no walls or anything. It was basically just, like, a wireframe helicopter in order to be super light. Right? Genius. It would have an engine above your head spinning the rotor blades. Yeah. Uh, let's not go into the fact that just the rotor blade spinning is incredibly complex mechanism. But, yeah, that's fine, it's fine. Well, no, it's, it's only if you're a queer. We were 16, so it's yeah. cool. But Dave's big concept, the whole thing hinged around, was the idea that you wouldn't have... 
any steering mechanism per se, like in front of you, like uh, a joystick or a steering wheel or anything like that. Instead, what you would have is a chair uh, in the cockpit on rails, right? Okay. The principle being that the chair could slide forwards and backwards in the cockpit and left and right, sort of move all around the cockpit. Right. And your feet would be planted on the floor of the cockpit. So you would use your legs and your knees to sort of sway the chair. Swing yourself around? Yes. Yeah, okay, I can so imagine So if you it, pulled yeah. yourself to the front of the cockpit, the, the helicopter would lean forwards and therefore travel forwards. Right. And if you leaned back in the cockpit, it would pull the, the helicopter backwards, the rotors would point back, and you'd fly backwards, left, right, exactly. That was, that was the principle. And that was enough for us to apparently start drawing up some designs. Unsurprisingly, it never got made. And there was a point where, like, Dave was very serious about it. And I got a little bit scared that we were maybe going to make something that was going to kill us. But uh, it didn't happen, for obvious, for very obvious reasons. I've got to say, like, I can, I can sympathise to some extent. Like, um, <laughs> you know, like, making, uh, making a helicopter is perhaps a bit extreme. But it always used to drive me so mad at a young age because I'd always have these ideas and I'd always be like oh we could do this or wouldn't it be amazing like I was I think I was a bit kind of like presumptuous for my age where I was kind of like oh I bet this you know we could do this it'd be fantastic or what if we you know we could uh, we could have an adventure we could go on you know a road trip or something like that yeah and it just never happened no and I and I think part of it there's a frustration there isn't there there was a massive frustration and I think part of it was I was young, you know, I wouldn't have known what to do anyway. Like, it was impractical. Yeah. But I think the thing that always just drove me mad was everyone's lack of in- lack of enthusiasm. Or belief as well. Yeah. yeah. Like, it was always just too much work. Yeah, it's like, like no, that's no, not going to happen, is nobody, it? Nobody would do it. And that just really made me sad. I was like, oh, but, you know, we could be having fun or doing something cool or... But it's like we'd watch things, wouldn't we? We'd watch films like The Goonies or read books like Famous Five and stuff. And they didn't seem preposterous. They didn't seem impossible that kids could just have fun, you know, and go on a little bit of an adventure. And yes, it would be awful if maybe some smugglers or someone locked up because we'd probably <laughs> just get smugglers, yeah. murdered or something rather than like, yes, we'll expose them for the crooks that they are. Meh. Um, instead it would probably just be let's call the police oh my god they've got Jerry let's just leave Jerry I'm so scared they've I'm so scared. Jerry <gasps> I've, I've weed myself it's all over yeah um, but aside from those bits the, the sort of <laughs> Swallows and Amazon style let's go onto Lake Windermere in our boat and camp on an island that was always so appealing to me can I just ask did you read those kind of books as a kid like Swallows and Amazon's Famous Five Secret Seven read them all yeah. I devoured them yeah like it's just not like an interesting joint mindset the problem was we read all these books which were written in like the 50s which were about yeah exactly and they were like completely unapplicable to the real world not only because kids can't do that but also because it was the 50s yeah and kids just ran out and, and did crazy ass stuff like this and no one ever got into trouble no yeah I don't know I think that's the kind of thing that really just I don't know. I, I I I think I was like a middle-aged man before my time, basically. Like I just, <laughs> I was quite frustrated by being a child. Yeah. I wanted to kind of like get out there and start. I, doing I had fun a lot stuff. of like ideas beyond my station as a child. Like I wanted to have a company. Yeah. And I love this idea of having a company and and a, and a logo. And I would often make things that usually out of cardboard and lemonade bottles and stuff. And I put like this little logo on them. Um, you know, it's sort of because I like the idea that a logo made something become part of something bigger. Yeah. So I really like the idea that that you could have one little product, but if it had a logo on it, then now it's not just that little product. It's like it's part of something. It's part of a family. It's part of a. Uh, Logos are powerful. They really are. They really are a powerful tool. I mean, it's something like I really dug with Apple. I think it's like having a a brand or a a banner to kind of like unite behind is quite. I mean, you know I believe in all of this stuff anyway. It's like it's kind of like what my day job is. Yeah. But I, I, I actually sometimes find it difficult in meetings with clients to stress how genuinely I genuinely believe in this stuff. Do yeah, you know like, what I mean? I like, don't think you understand. Like, branding and logos and really good, like, like identities, visual identities for companies, I, I, I honestly cannot oversell this to you. Like, it will make all the difference. I, I, very... I love it. I love it. I, I totally believe in it. I had, uh, I mean, a very sad confession now, but um, because <laughs> oh I was, you know, because I was so into like the Secret Seven and the famous, famous five. Yeah, famous five. Yeah, famous yeah. five. Yeah, 
and all that kind of stuff. And I was reading these books which weren't really relevant in the modern age. No. But it's like, I desperately love the idea of a group of people against the world. Like, I yeah. thought that was just fantastic. So Absolutely, yeah. I know, like, in primary school, we had a little club as well. Yeah. Which I think I kind of instigated because I was like, I want that. I want to be out solving mysteries. Yeah. Like, I don't know where we'll find these mysteries, but I want to be doing... We've just got to find one. Yeah, we've just got to find a mystery and then it'll be cool and we'll all have an adventure. And, um... <laughs> and yeah, and we would hang out. And yeah, we never had adventures, but yeah, it was cool. And, like, uh... I, and I kind of love that stuff. And, um... It always, I think it kind of, like, broke my heart in a little way when everybody grew up and got on with their lives and that was suddenly sad yeah and i think that's one of the reasons i was such like an awkward kid is that i i found oh, it definitely i yeah. found that transition to secondary school quite hard yeah because actually secondary school for me getting to that age was suddenly a realization that i'm now old enough to have a greater ability to do all the stuff i wanted to do when i was like six yeah you know so now when i wanted to make something or put a logo on something oh, phone call again now it would look quite good i'm back what were we even talking about? Uh, branding. Secondary and, school. No, then secondary school. Yeah. yeah. And like still being an awkward kid because you still wanted to do all that stuff. Um, but but now apparently it wasn't cool anymore. I know. That was the thing. It was suddenly, and I think this is a word which has kind of like haunted my life, is... Cool. Sad. Oh, sad. Right. You know, like... What's this big thing? Um, so, he's so sad. Uh, yeah, it's going to happen now. I'm going to quote The Invisibles. Now, there's a lot of <laughs> it's mad- gonna happen. There's a lot of madness in The Invisibles. There is. You know, and uh, I was rather shocked to learn that it didn't have a coherent plan behind it when Grant Morrison wrote it. Um, <laughs> shock- I'm not shocked to learn that. <laughs> no, no, shocking, yeah. But um, he... Uh, there's, there are, like, odd moments of uh, profundity within it. Mm. And he said, like, we live in an age where... Or one of the characters says at one point, we live in an age where beliefs are mandatory but convictions are sad. Interesting. And he said, so everybody has to have a belief. So everybody, you know, it's an era where like, you know, as we've talked about a lot, there's a lot of favoritism in politics, for example, if you are religious. Like Mm. it's very hard to get anywhere if you don't ascribe to a major religion. And, And yet actually standing up for something you believe in or caring about something. Actually, I think that's the thing. Caring about something passionately was sad at secondary school. Yeah. And it didn't matter what it was, although apparently caring about football was fine. Yeah, and this is why we took great pleasure in calling them nerds when we were at that restaurant the other night. Yeah, it's like this was like the inherent hypocrisy at the heart of it. It was like, you could care about anything. Like, I cared about comics, you know, yeah. uh, you, but you could care about dancing, music, anything, but to show any form of passion was a bad thing. And you got really pushed down and got it pushed out of you yeah like you were which just... is therefore remarkable that we came out still with any passions you know like I, I know yeah because i know a lot of people like certainly some friends that i had um and you know other people that i knew and stuff like they would be into similar sort of stuff that i was in like year seven yeah but sort of by year eight year nine they'd had it beaten out of them and now it doesn't even play a tiny part in their lives you know and it's like we all got bullied for it in in greater or lesser forms but somehow i managed to I think maybe it was just too close to my heart. Like, it was just in my heart. Well, like, yeah. You I can't th- beat that out of me. It, but it's an, odd, it's an odd thing, isn't it? Because if you couldn't say it was because we were strong. No, I think oh, it, no, certainly Yeah, not. I think it was more like we just didn't know to quit <laughs> in a weird way. It's like... Well, I just learned to keep my head down. Like, that was... Well, that's it, isn't it? That was the big thing for me at school and, like, wanting to still do the things I wanted to do. So basically, to be stubborn enough to not want to change, but still be scared enough to not want to be bullied. Yeah. So it was like, oh, I'll just hide it all then. But it's like, if you were strong, or if, 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 if either of us had been kind of like stronger at that age, we would have been like, no, mate, I love it. I don't care. What's your problem? Fight yeah, me. Get off my you back. Know? Yeah. But we didn't do that. And I think that's exactly what he said. We didn't quit. We just kind of stopped publicising it. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. You just kept your head down. You're just like, you know, I don't want trouble. Just leave me alone. I don't want to invite this hardship on myself by being public about the things I care about. But you're very right to say invite your hardship because I I did suffer from the uh, delusion, I guess, that the problem was with me. Yeah. Um, And I knew I... I never really had any desire to change and I knew that I wasn't going to and that I didn't want to, but I thought that I was different. I was the weird one. The reason I was getting bullied was because I was stupid. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I never really blamed myself for not being into those things because I did try I tried to get into football I tried to play football at lunchtimes and stuff but it never really stuck yeah 
Um, and I just remember thinking that, well, that's that's the problem with me. And the only way I'm going to get through this is by, I want to be happy, so I'll keep doing what I like, but no one needs to know about it. Yeah, yeah, it becomes a very private thing. Exactly, yeah. And and, and I'll just be weird, because obviously I'm weird, obviously I'm different. I'll just be different in, in, in silence. And I think in a way that's actually very, very sad, because there's probably a lot of people out there who maybe after that period of their life, they never come out of that hole. You know, or they never continue to do the things they used to love to do. And we've got these amazing, talented, you know, potentially generous people out there yeah. who are never going to share their gifts because... Well, it's horrible, isn't it? Like, I feel... I mean, we certainly, you know, we're doing the things we love now despite that treatment. Certainly not because of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I remember feeling uh, desperately... You know, like... Cause it's I'm really respected for it now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's but the same sort thing, of thing. Like, yeah. oh, I can't believe Nick Angel is still oh, doing no, all this stuff. I can't stuff. believe you stuck at it, you know? Yeah, what what a legend. Like, the stuff you're doing now is really, really cool. And it's just like, yeah, dude, you could be the same if you hadn't caved to the football Illuminati, you know? I, um... Yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird. It's it's hard not to be slightly bitter about it. But I am. Oh yeah, absolutely. I am. I we have am, every right to be bitter. I, think. <laughs> I am very grateful. I mean, so grateful now to like to be to be doing what I what I do, and it and it, and it, it's really weird where. You know, it feels like I don't know. People look at you like people, certainly people you used to know back in school, and they now go like, "Wow, you know, it's really special what you're doing." Yeah. And it's like it's not special at all. There's nothing special about it. I just didn't stop yeah and i didn't let you know you putting me down stop me then yeah stop me then you know i just wasn't i don't know i don't want to say it's self-belief i think it was just like a kind no. of no no absolutely it almost wasn't it was almost like the opposite of self-belief like i never believed in myself I, it was completely the opposite and i don't mean this as a sort of like oh pity me many 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 because i don't mean it as that either like i genuinely didn't think that what i was doing a had any worth or b was the normal or right thing to do yeah but i just knew that i couldn't like not do it in a way. Like, I know it just made me happy, so I just carried on doing. But it. also, like, really I, selfish. That's the thing I found like really depressing as well was the fact that like I was caught between these two things where I had this immense like drive behind me where it felt like a mission, mm. where it felt like I this is the thing I have to do with my life. Yeah, but at the same time, it seemed impossible. Yeah, and that just made me depressed because I was like, I want to be writing comics, but that's never going to happen. That doesn't happen to people like me. No. You know, yeah. and not only did we have to battle with the fact that those who make it are, you know, the 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 godmother picked few and far between, but also we had to battle with the fact that well, no one does that. That's not cool. That's not that's not a proper way to live your life. Yeah. So, just really, that's the end of it, really. It was really tough. Was and really I think tough. maybe that's why people, when people do say, "Oh, it's amazing that you've stuck at it," I mean, maybe it is a little bit amazing because there's there's so much that you could argue is a is a is a reason or a force to prevent you from doing it yeah and i, I i'm not gonna say that it's strength or force of will or anything like that that has kept us going i think it's just pure selfishness it makes me happy so i just keep doing it yeah i remember um one thing that really uh really drove me mad at the time is that like it took me a while to learn at secondary school to shut my mouth <laughs> you know like yeah i was bullied and you know that's you know, the failing of the bully for doing it. Yeah. But at the same time, and I think we talked about this just a minute ago, but you learn to keep your head down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you learn to not invite the bullies to to give, you know, don't give them a reason. Don't for give them God's ammunition. sake, don't give them a reason. Yeah. So it took me a very, very long time to realise that. I would say almost until, like, I was in sixth form. Really? When I finally learned to just, don't talk about the things you love, <laughs> don't be passionate, just be quiet Keep your head down, and then you can go to uni, and then you know maybe things will be better. And um, I remember being quite shocked in like a an A level, uh, I want to say like physics class, because mm. like after going after getting home from secondary school, I would walk home and then I would watch some TV, and you know there were things I really enjoyed, like I really 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 loved Digimon. Yeah, like I I was really into Digimon. I have a notebook. With about two hundred odd Digimon that I've shown I felt very, uh, felt very honoured to. Well, yeah, that. I'll have to show it to you again. You know, for show, a, you know, show it to me again. weekly reminder. But um, <laughs> I was shocked, therefore, when we were just in a in a in a episode in a lesson of physics. An episode of physics. And, and somebody goes, "Hey, did you watch Digimon last night?" Who said that? Uh, just a guy in the class. Oh goes, right. Hey, did you watch Digimon last night? And everyone around the table goes, "Yeah, it was amazing. I love that monster." And I was like, "You." 
absolute monsters. Like, I have been keeping my mouth shut for years, never talking about anything How are we supposed to know when it was safe? Oh, so now it's fine? Yeah. Like, when when, when was I going to get that memo, you know? You know, (laughs) it did feel like you needed a memo. Like, it did feel like... Look... Guys, apparently I can't do social interaction. But so this was it, wasn't it? That was the old, the old school thing. The old horse chestnut, yeah. Yeah, it was that um, I always felt as though, for some reason, I didn't have access to the rules or the, the, the decorum that meant you could say one thing and not say another. And yeah. it, I, I don't think it took me quite as long as it took you to learn to, to shut up, because I, I, I ended up sort of going deep inside myself and becoming a very shy, shy kid yeah. um, at around sort of year seven, year eight time. When when I was at primary school, kind of it was okay for me to be that little bit, you know, showing the things that I was into and interested in. We had gangs and stuff at school and clubs and stuff, and we're making membership cards, and that was all fun. And then I wanted to keep doing that in year seven, and I sort of got smashed down on it yeah, at yeah, secondary yeah. school. Didn't help that I went to an all boys grammar school either. Mm. Um, and uh, and so I, it was almost like too much, too fast. Like I got hit on so hard for it yeah. that uh, that it just shut down, and I just went I went very shy and very quiet for a, for a little while actually. But um, but there was this really overarching sense of like, well, how am I supposed to know? Because that guy over there is talking about Superman now, and and why can't I weigh in on that without being called a boffin, which was yeah. our word. Oh, school. boffin! Oh my god, that word haunted me. Being yeah, yeah boffin. Such a boff. Because you, because your parents made you study and you. Yeah. You know. And it's like I wasn't even the smartest kid by, by no, a long no. Stretch. Do you know what I mean? Like there were there were a lot of smarter kids than me, but I just. I never, I've never approached anything in my life without trying as hard as I can. Yeah. And that was the big mistake, really. Oh, entirely, no. Um, <laughs> entirely. Yeah. No, it's really, it's really odd, actually. I think, um, you know, it wasn't that I was, it wasn't that I wasn't like sad and awkward and, and, and everything as well. I just, and I was, and I, I did, I was very shy and, and unhappy as well. But um, I, I, I just. I, I just didn't learn, you know. I, mm. I just kept kind of making these mistakes that made it worse for me. Oh, I mean, I'd always make mistakes still, despite yeah. having my head down. But no, you're right, yeah. It was really sad, actually. It was really sad that people went through this. I mean, like, I often feel that, like, secondary school is like... It's like a you're a rough object rolling downhill. Yes. And, like, society, and particularly secondary school, just... Rubs the edges off just, you. Yeah, just bevels the edges off you. And at the end, you're just you're equipped to perform in society and it hasn't been nice but like you like I said you, you know enough to keep your mouth shut you know enough to not cause trouble yeah but it's... my problem with that is is that it can go too far oh obviously. no I agree I don't think it's good and it can take a huge amount away from a person that actually made them individual and exciting and interesting yeah um no, I, I believe in having some of your sharp edges, you know, because there's rudeness, you know, there's 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 general manners to respecting another human being in your presence and stuff. And you might love Superman so much that you want to talk over everyone else whenever they're talking about anything that they love. And that's obviously wrong. Um, and you have to learn those aspects and you can only learn them from being at school. And yeah, being oh, no, surrounded totally. by yeah, kids no. the same age as you. I get that. But then there's a limit. There is a limit. And I'm not saying that there's a solution to this because... If you're going to be thrown into a class with 25 other kids, all of whom are completely different to you, then of course there's going to be some clashes. Yeah. I remember, because um, you can't, like... The fact is, like, you can't force people to be friends with you. You no. can't fake friendship. And it's like... Oh, phone again. Hold that thought. I am holding that thought. Yeah, it's like, you know, I was just saying, you can't force people to be friends with you it's a genuine reaction of course you know the honest truth is I was lonely at secondary school because I was you know an awkward geeky kid and I probably wasn't very good company which I I, you know I was like I said I've had a lot of my rough edges kind of chipped away Hmm. so yeah I can't blame kids for not wanting to hang out with me I was probably quite sad I was probably uh, probably actually like social kryptonite you know you would not I think being seen with me probably could have been a bit of a a death sentence <laughs> oh god so yeah sorry no I'm probably laying it on a bit thick but it's like you know I don't blame the other kids for not liking me really it's just it's just kind of sad in a way that yeah it got to that point if you know what I mean I just I don't know but I learned anyway it, it took me a while and uh I guess ultimately, like I'm stronger for it. The um, I do remember. I didn't have a. God, this is turning just like a real misery memoir now. But <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't have an especially good start. I remember like my first day of secondary school, 
we were we used to have like tutorials. Yes, we had those, which yeah. were basically just where you signed in and signed out every day. Basically, re- register, wasn't it? Yeah, essentially, yeah. yeah. So I think the idea was that, like, for us at least, we were years seven through eleven in the regular school, and then we had the sixth form attached to the school. Okay. So I think the idea was that five children from every school year would be assigned to a tutorial. So there'd be like twenty-five people in a tutorial. Okay. So right. Yeah, yeah. Five year sevens and so on, and you would turn up in the morning. Oh no, we ours wasn't like that at all. Okay, interesting. Right. Yeah, go on. But it's basically you would turn up in the morning, sign in, wait for ten minutes, and then go to class. Mm. That was essentially it. It was just to make sure that everyone was in. And I remember on the very first day, we were went we signed to our tutorials. I went to my tutorial, and there were five kids, obviously intaken. Uh, going into that tutorial this year as year sevens yeah and there was me and there was like uh oh three other kids i can't remember but then there was a girl who i'd known in primary school like we come up from the same primary school yeah and we had to go around the table and like introduce ourselves sure and you had to say something like hi my name's john i like x i don't like x Oh, or something right. like that. It was like a weird thing. Like, hi, I'm John. I like pies, but I don't like walking in the rain. Or something like that. Yeah. And literally got to her. And I won't name her because who cares. But she like, hi, my name's, you know, Samantha. And I like horses and I don't like him. And she pointed at me. Oh my goodness. And honestly, goodness. I don't think we'd had much interactions at primary school at all. I, I couldn't like remember. It wasn't even like. That is so vicious. That and that was like the first thing she said at secondary school in front of everyone. And that was like, and I, and I was like, oh God, you know, I was There's, like, I mean that, I don't want to, I don't want to be overdramatic, but, and I don't know whether this is even true, but that's, that could be something you almost never recover from. I don't like, know. Socially. Yeah. Know, I like, I, and I, you know, I, I think like that won her a lot of friends right off the bat. Cause like, what a funny thing to say. And he does look a bit like a dweeb. Look at his massive specs. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And I had, a, I had a, I genuinely had a miserable time in, um, in tutorial after, from that point on, like ever. I mean, it wasn't even that, well, one guy picked on me, but it was more of a people, nobody just talked to me. I just kind of sat there feeling yeah, pretty miserable. That sucks, man. Oh, well, thank you. Sorry. Yeah. It is, like I said, it is turning into a misery memoir now. You know, you chasing a fly around the studio is amazing audio. I'm gonna get, get, get out. <laughs> oh yes, it's gone. Yes. I was chatting with Ben Haith yes. last night, and we had a little chat about uh, Overwatch. Oh yeah. And uh, I don't think I can work with him anymore. Why is he a May player? He's a May player. I knew he was. He's a big fan of May, <laughs> and he said it for exactly the same reasons as I would say. I can't stand May. He goes, she's so annoying. That's the thing. <laughs> she's she's the trolliest character. He praises her because of that. Yeah. <laughs> He's a menace. Which means you now know for a fact that May players actually are trolls. <laughs> They're not just like, oh no, no, I really respect her power set. No, no, no. Everyone who's playing May yeah. is doing it to f*** you up. I'm here to destroy you, basically. <laughs> Even for your own team. I... <laughs> Especially if you're Well, to be honest, like, that's one of the worst ones, is when you're trying to get out of the hangar door. Yeah, and she puts a wall up. Yeah. But his three were... No, he was actually really good. He had, like, a uh, one character he played in every class, which oh, I right. thought was quite good, so he could adapt for um, any scenario. Because mm. I've only got three, so his were, like... I've only got three. His were... Lucio. Yeah. For healing. Yeah. Uh, Zarya for a tank. Uh-huh. May for support, no defense. Defense. Oh, who needs who's his attacker? Oh, it's bugging me now. I can't remember. Who are the attack ones? Soldier 76, Farah, Tracer. Tracer, that was it. And he's saying, like, the thing about Tracer is you either have the best game ever or you have the worst game ever. Yeah. It's absolutely impossible to get. uh, I've had some really good games with Tracer, and then I've had some ones with everywhere. So have you have you settled on like a few favourites? No. Yeah, I'm always either Lucio, Ro- uh, Junkrat, or uh, Farah. Interesting. But I haven't played in ages. But I keep meaning to. But then I get new games. But I do want to. Well, see, I, I think Ben might be a better person than both of us because he said he made like, he's made like a concentrated effort to like try every character. Oh, I've tried every character. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I'm just the monster. Yeah. I just can't bring myself to play as Reaper. Why? Because you feel like you might become slightly an edge lord. Uh, maybe so. I mean, like I, <laughs> you're too <laughs> too impressionable. I, I just this is the thing. I'm a massive, I'm a massive snob. 
when it comes to playing, and I'm like, no, I have my standards, and I will, you know, <laughs> it's like... See, I played as Reaper because I wanted to know if he was really easy to play as. Whether it felt as good. Like, if it feels this good, people must be... Well, what my, my theory was... He's really easy to do lots of damage with. Be really successful yeah. Because I see him, I see Edgelord playing as him all the time. Like he must be, and that's why people these people play as him all the time because it must be really easy to get lots of kills with him. Yeah. No. Found quite tricky. Categorically not true. I, I just could not do anything with him. The one thing I will say about Reaper because I, I think there's a I I know like um, a while ago Blizzard were talking about trying to refine the play of the game algorithm because yeah. at the moment it seems to be calculated entirely on. Kills and kill free no kill frequency. Yes, yeah, so if you kill five in a row, you're probably yeah. Insane. So you could kill twenty people in a game, mm. fifty even, but somebody who only killed five but killed all five of those in very quick succession would, would get, get play of the game because that's obviously an exciting moment. And the problem is that play of the game can't calculate amazing defense no. or like you say you did something amazing where all you did was escort the payload yeah. to, through like a really pivotal moment. But um, yeah, because it's like, well, you didn't kill anyone, but yeah. you just, you know, you just held the ground. So I think that's why I find Reaper annoying. Is that him and there's a couple of other characters, their ultimates are, de- are designed purely t- to do immense amount of damage over a wide area in a short space of time. Yeah. So how c- the amount of times I've seen a Reaper get play of the game simply by dr- teleporting into the middle of a group of people and doing Death Blossom and suddenly just yeah. everyone is destroyed. It's the same with Bastion as well. Yes, actually, so yeah. much damage in tank mode. It's like I play Farah a lot, but or Symmetra. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. I mean, um, I well, Symmetra is my absolute. She's my my wife. Like she is fantastic. I love Symmetra, and I'm getting really good at Symmetra. I'm not afraid to say. <laughs> but I enjoy playing as Farah as well. But speaking of alts and like their relative like benefit or gain or or negatives, I found out the longer I've played Farah, the less effective her ultimate has become. Because people are getting wise to it now. And while it seems absolutely amazing at first, yeah. it actually just makes you a massive sitting duck. Yeah, really you does. are so vulnerable when you do it. Very true, yeah. The amount of times I've gone ultimate and it's immediately been shot out of the I, sky. I think what, near the end of when I was playing before, and maybe when I get back into it, I was starting to use her ultimate in like confined locations. Mm. Just to get guaranteed kills of one, one or two people. Because I wasn't, there's was no point in jumping up into the air anymore. Because as you say, I was just getting shot out of the air before I could finish it. Well, that's the thing, because also, you know, you, your back is massively undefended. That's very true, yeah. So, but I've been thinking about this as well. Like, the, probably the best opportunity you could do it would be to pop into a door. Yeah, and, and spray a room. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if everyone's in there. Exactly, yeah. Anything, no, it's, it's very rare where I'll, I'll get more than one kill from a, a Farah ultimate. Or oh, maybe, definitely, yeah. Usually I only get one. Or maybe I'm just bad. No, 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 that's the same with me. And I, I well, I'm pretty bad as well, but. Certainly not as good as you. Oh, it's very kind of you. Well, I think that's just purely... This is the problem I have with the levelling system, though, is that it is partly time as well. Yeah. And that's not a problem, because, of course, you spend more time doing something, you'll get better at it. But my, my issue is, not from a uh, everyone isn't worth their levels perspective, but from a, if I go back to it now, I'm not going to be level 29, because I haven't played for so long. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to be like a level 18 again. And I'm going to have to work back up to be my own level. <laughs> the psychology of it is really interesting because I get genuinely... There is like a psychological intimidation when you come up against someone at level 100 mm. and you're like, they must be amazing. Yeah, but they're not necessarily. No, because it's interesting because I'm level 96 now. Really? Yeah, I've been playing a lot. Is it captured 100? It is captured 100. Higher, yeah. So I'm level 96. But at the same time, I don't feel I'm... Like some sort of pro. No, I don't feel I'm legendary at all. And because like even a bad player could keep playing, never improve, and eventually hit level ninety six. It's not like you have to pass a test at a certain point. And I know it's unlikely that someone would play for that long and not improve. It is possible. Mm. Certainly, it maybe only improve a little bit, not improve as much as the levels indicate they might have. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's an odd, you know. But interestingly, and this is where I feel I'm perhaps ignorant, is. You are uh, some characters. Certainly, I noticed this when playing online. Have stars under their name. Yeah, I've noticed that. Which is distinct from the leveling system. Yeah, the leveling system, and I think that's from playing in competitive play. I think it is. Yeah. Now, and this really, this really grinds my gears, Nick. When I, I will quite frequently, as a level ninety-six player, get killed by a level five person. 
who is just amazing. I'm like, how are they so good? Create a new account. They're only level five. Yeah, maybe they create a new account and they have these stars under their name. Oh, oh, can you prestige in this? I don't know what that... Yeah, maybe. I don't even know. Or maybe, like, the real players, like, the really good people are not wasting their time. Oh, my God. What if the stars are prestiges? As in... As in Call of Duty. When In Call of Duty, when you level up to maximum level, which I think is 100, you then go back to level one again. Really? So something changes about your profile, and you get, like, a... Oh, my God. A Thank silver you. or gold um, oh, frame. the watch. Stars. What do they mean? Let's find out, maybe. Um, oh, oh my god, Nick, you're right. Really? A star I mean, is a hundred levels. But then it goes back to one? Yeah. Jesus Christ. So that's how it's been happening then. You're playing these level five guys. And they're actually... A level 105. So a level, level five person with three stars is level, level 305. 305. Oh my god. You've got so far to go. I... <laughs> Once you hit level 100, you get sent back down to level 1 and get a scar under your portrait. It's prestigious. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, Nick. I thought I was almost there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my tear just runs down your cheek. Oh, I, I may need some time alone. You're actually, John. 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 You're actually a noob. <laughs> uh... You're right at the beginning of your Overwatch career. career. The entire world is spread out ahead of you of death. Oh, uh, and some people are suggesting that you get a silver, like, border when you hit level 600. Have you had various exciting things around your player icon stacks yeah. up here? Are they at certain level points? Every 10 plus 1. So 11, 21, 31, 41, and so on. Your portrait evolves to become more elaborate. Because I got, I think I've got two. Yeah. So well, if you're on level 29, did you say? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so you'll get another. You'll get another one at level thirty. Thirty-one. Oh my god! And, and but this is this is blown it all wide open because you know they're saying like you know the general border is a kind of goldy bronze color. Yeah. Some people are saying there's different tiers of that as well, as in god. it's only bronze because you're less than level five hundred. <laughs> Jesus, so you really are in the noob territory. I am. So, I am. I've barely got started. And yet you felt. I mean, I feel like level hundred is a hell of an achievement. I was going to quit. I was gonna, I was going to walk away saying I've done it. Perfect game. I've completed Overwatch. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. I feel pathetic now. Don't feel pathetic, John. Just know that Just know that you are. <laughs> just, <laughs> don't feel pathetic. Know that you're pathetic. Just, just live pathetic.